Hello, listeners. I'm Zach. And I'm Valina. And we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant to Be a Podcast. We're going to be covering all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And today, we will be continuing with Tales from the Dark Side with the episode Levitation. And boy, will we. (laughs) (laughs) We've been kind of dreading this episode. It's definitely not why we've been taking so long but it is a major factor (laughs) yes it's an episode that works better when you watch it once versus having to watch it over and over again it's it's pretty bad well it's not necessarily a bad episode it's just extremely frustrating (laughs) the main character is so bad (laughs) but we'll get to that first Let me do a quick rundown of the cast. So I'll start with our main character, Frank. He's played by Brad Cowgill. We have a lovely assistant who is the assistant to the magician in this episode. Her name is Cynthia Frost. And Frank's friend, Ernie, who is Anthony Tompkins. So it kind of looks like Thompkins because it's it's spelled with a T-H. And legally distinct from Anthony Hopkins. Yes. And these guys, I was having problems with the IMDb pages for them for some reason. Like it would not let me click on them. I don't know why. But that does not matter because Karma, the great Karma, the... I don't want to call him the main antagonist of this episode exactly. He's the magician. He's a magician. But like he is the obstacle that our jerk hero Frank has to sort of get over, except he's, I would consider Frank the bad guy this episode. He's, he's the a, antagonist exactly. in the antagonizing way. Yeah, he's the hero antagonist or the villainous protagonist. I don't know what to call that. But our great karma is played by Joseph Turkle, who you might know as the bartender Lloyd from The Shining. And he also plays Dr. Eldron Tyrell in the 1982 movie Blade Runner. You know, Blade Runner, the one with like a billion different cuts and versions. Mm-hmm. Um, watch the final cut. It's the best. So that dude is in it. And he's probably the best part of it. Him and Ernie, who's the Anthony Tompkins. <laughs> Tompkins. I don't know. Yeah, so he was in it. Like, I thought that was really cool. Because I could not believe I did not recognize him right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, with that stuff out of the way, this was also based off a short story by Joseph Payne Brennan. And that's all I could find on it, but I honestly did not look <laughs> that hard. So, you know, I'm not too eager to track that down and read it. It promises to be also very frustrating. I would imagine if watching it for like 20 minutes was frustrating, reading it for 30 minutes would probably also be frustrating. But anyhow, on to the plot. We start with our hero, Frank, and his best buddy, Ernie. And they're walking into this really shoddy-looking parking lot. And Ernie is talking to Frank, saying, Driving out 75 miles to be here had better be worth it. And Frank is all like, Oh, yeah, it's definitely worth it. This dude is better than Houdini. And Ernie literally says, Who's Houdini? I am pretty sure Houdini is, like, in history books. Like, I'm pretty sure I learned about him in one of my, like, elementary school history classes. So Mm -hmm. I'm, like, shocked that Ernie did not know who Houdini was. But regardless, if you listeners do not know who Houdini is, 
Look him up. That said, I will also tell you, he's a magician. He was really well known for his like escape artistry. I mean, doing really insane death defying stunts. And that's, by the way, how he died. He did like a put me in like a straight jacket inside of a tank of water and I'll escape and he did not. Although that being said, there is some speculation that he purposely did that. He just killed himself and I guess wanted to go out on stage or something. I'm not sure if that's true. I mean, what an awful way to go. But it's just speculation, you know? Yeah, um, there's a lot There's a lot of stuff to unpack about his personal life and his showmanship that really makes him an interesting figure of history. Yeah, and he was like one of the most famous magicians of his time. I'd say of all time. He's mm-hmm. the household name in magicians. Yeah. So that's who he is. And he really has that escape artist thing. To the point, I think one of the old 1920s and 30s gangsters got a Houdini Award for his inability to be caught by the cops. <laughs> who was that? John Zillinger? <laughs> Somebody. Oh, my or was God. That the scene? I can't ever remember like who got we're, that reward. We're getting besides the point. Yes, yes. Okay. Back to levitation. <laughs> uh, so that's. That's who Houdini is. And he's saying, I'm making the very bold statement that this guy is, like, better than Houdini. So they go in there, and Frank is really assuring Ernie that this is really going to be worth it. And, like, Ernie's looking around at this really cheap-looking carnival. It looks really worn. It's kind of sad and pathetic. It's in front of a warehouse? It is definitely in front of a warehouse. It might even be inside the warehouse. It kind of looks like it could be the same warehouse that the very ending of If the Shoes Fit was like filmed in. I would not mm-hmm. be surprised if it was. Uh, it's impossible for me to know, but that's what I like to think. Mm-hmm. Um, that inside that warehouse is what a poor politician losing it, uh, becoming a clown. So Frank tells Ernie that he's probably looking for someone to pass down his secrets. And of course, Ernie's like, what? He's going to pass him down to you. Have you been smoking dope? And it's like so funny because he's just like, this guy is really the voice of reason. And oh, yeah. He's the normal person in this situation. Yes. And I really appreciate it because there's some episodes where you have kind of extreme behaviors and it's accepted in this episode as normal when it's like, no one would act like that in real life. Like, is this just the setting of this world? You know, like the Simpsons antics, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of like, it's acceptable in that world because that's just an acceptable behavior. But this guy, Ernie, really puts it in a realistic perspective. He's like, no, that is not normal. Someone is not supposed to be acting like that. And how he's acting, of course, is exceedingly self-entitled. Mm-hmm. So he thinks that he's going to be this predecessor to this man he's never met once. Successor. In- the successor. Yeah, his predecessors, time traveling involved. <laughs> he's also his father. He doesn't even know it. So Ernie wants to leave because he thinks he's just full of it. And you know, he gets convinced to stay. And they're walking around and they see all kinds of attractions that are, are there to sort of set the stage for what this circus is providing. And mm-hmm. it's very cheap. Like this lady has her head uh, sticking out of some kind of... I'm not really sure what it is. It kind of looks like a velvet box with, like, two swords above and below her head. Like, she's supposed to be a head floating there. But, like, it clearly is her crouching behind this box. And she's just saying the attractions that people should be going to. Yeah, and she's it's, like an announcer, but also her own attraction. And it's it, 
so weird. Yeah, and she's got this very forced smile on. Like, she's trying to be very, ha- you know, happy and enthusiastic when clearly she's been there for hours and is dead tired. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the word tired suits absolutely everything in this entire little circus. It's the word of the day. Yes. Like, there's canvases that are just dirty and kind of ripped. And worn. And worn. Things that look like the paint is peeling off because it's just been used for so long. The people themselves look tired and... Peeling and, and peeling. worn. Everything is just very kind of sad and, you know, unimpressive. Which serves, like, two things, right? To make it look a lot cheaper and like poorer so you know this is probably like a very underfunded or you know under profiting circus as well as to sort of set up our main character's pettiness later on and again we'll get to that so they go past more attractions there's like this hype man next to this dancer who's like what's her name like fatima siren of the desert desert. and she's just some lady that looks tired like (laughs) dancing in what kind of looks like a shimmery hula skirt and like a sparkly bra or something and then the hype man he's got this little cane he's like oh you be able to see her dancing but without this in the way and he like kind of pokes at her skirt thingy but it's a hula skirt she's wearing underwear i mean are you gonna pay extra for the attraction like it's not really worth it you can see enough from where you are you know just do some window shopping, you'll be fine. The free trial. Exactly. You don't need more. And, like, then they pass, like, this lady who's getting knives thrown at her. And she, like, kind of flinches, which I thought was funny. Because I actually thought he was throwing the knives, but apparently they don't do that. Yeah. Zara, explain how it works. Basically, there's a mechanism behind the board that very, pretty much instantaneously shoots the backs of the blades out from behind through what's essentially a foam with a slit cut into it. So, basically, they go off in succession, and the thrower times a pretend throw for each of them, and the knives don't really, like... Leave his hand? <laughs> yeah, because they're, they throw them in such a weird way that it's just kind of like a handle that keeps going in and out. Oh! And uh, the blades pop up from the back of the board that they stand in front of. Yeah, those are some trade secrets, y'all. You can become magicians now. <laughs> Okay, so they go sit inside this little room that has maybe 10 or 20 chairs. And there's just some random people scattered about. And the the Great Karma show starts. There's this lady who looks to be about, what, like 60 or 70? She's like an older lady. And she's got this pointy bra thingy on and probably also like a shimmery skirt. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's the loveliest assistant. She has the hat with a big old feather thingy on. Mm-hmm. And it's just really kind of trying to overemphasize the fact that she's very old. She's no longer the just super attractive assistant. If you ever saw the movie Coraline, the two older ladies oh from that look like this lady. Just mixed together. Just mixed together. <laughs> yes. So that's the lovely assistant, Flora. And then she introduces the great karma with a little spiel about the... Master of Time and Destiny, I think his title is. Yeah, so he comes out, and he's older too, and he does these tricks. And of course, 
before he starts, Ernie is just kind of still very doubtful. This whole setting has just got him completely in skeptic mode. And Frank is like, no, it's going to be really good. You just got to just gotta see it. Ernie's just sort of like, okay. <laughs> and so the show starts and it's a series of really basic tricks. It starts with he what, pulls flowers out of his cape. Uh-huh. And then he takes the flowers off the thingy, puts them into the cape. They disappear you know, ooh, you have just kind of very scattered clapping. There's only like 10 to 20 people in there. So you mm. have this very, very sparse clapping. Obligatory clapping. Yes. Too. And it's that very polite, like, okay, I'm supposed to clap. You know, there's no enthusiasm. <coughs> yeah, some dude is just coughing in the back. Not loudly, just a kind of very discreet cough you do. And you're, dang it, I want to clear my throat, but I don't want to make a scene. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's very unimpressive. So he does more basic things. He makes the flowers, the flowers back he, onto the bouquet. Yeah, he gets a trick rope that he cuts in half, puts back together, some things like that. And then the lights dim. And then he pulls out this big guillotine. It's in the back. And of course, while watching all of this, Frank is getting very disappointed. And he looks like a kid who just accidentally dropped his ice cream on the sidewalk. And he says, like, wow, this is kid stuff. Any hack can do this stuff. He's heckin' disappointed. And then the guillotine theme starts. And And this is the only trick that actually gets Ernie's attention. Yes. Ernie, of course, along with... The other people, save Frank, I believe, is, of course, clapping politely. But when the guillotine comes out, he's kind of leaning forward. He's quiet. His face, you know, becomes more serious as opposed to that kind of slightly smug smile. Like, really? We came all the way out here for this? And so Flora sticks her head through the guillotine. And Karma locks her in. Mm -hmm. And he puts his hand underneath the blade. blade, And he draws back with blood on his finger like he cut it and then he of course pulls a little string or whatever he sets the guillotine off and it chops her head off and it's pretty gross because her head goes in and there's like blood seeping down the edge of the blade through the wood and it looks pretty real right i mean clearly if it was real there probably might be much more blood but at that ernie's face just kind of dropped he's like oh my gosh he looks kind of more invested in this trick while frank is still just kind of in a confused daze and then they turn around and then the curtains open and Flora comes walking out, totally fine with her head on her shoulders. And we get felt slightly more enthusiastic clapping. And of course, Ernie is clapping with a little more enthusiasm. But when it's over, he turns to Frank and he's like, wow, what a waste. Because <laughs> like, they came all the way out there. And even if like one trick was kind of good, that's 75 miles to get to see that, you know, it's like mm-hmm. not really worth it. And of course, Frank is really upset because that's not what he was expecting. And now this is where things get really upsettingly frustrating for me. So we go to the next scene and Ernie, he's eating something. I don't know what it is, but I couldn't even tell. This is I've seen this episode so many times. It looks like something he unwraps. Yeah, like it almost looks like Which is no carnival food I know of. Yeah, it looks honestly he probably bring his own food. <laughs> he's like No, but he paid for it. It looked like he bought it. He could have, but he could have also brought it. Like I really don't know cuz you don't see him paying for it. You see him eating it. So, I mean, maybe he snuck it in. He's like, "Yeah, we're going to come pay $75 worth of gas to get here." Maybe it was you know? like a churro or something. No, because it looked like there was something on the label, you know? Oh, yeah, so it, yeah. I thought it, I actually thought it was a baby Ruth at first, but I realized it was as white as a Pop-Tart. So, like, it's neither of those, so I don't really know what the heck it was. Maybe it was just some old 80s food that we don't have nowadays, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Frank is very disappointed. Oh, no! 
Oh, we forgot to mention that Flora, during some of the tricks, she like yawns. You know, like she's tired, but she kind of yawns and it just adds to the uh, uh, feeling of tiredness throughout it. it. It was so great. Just like that little cough. It's just like a little great detail there. Okay, so Frank is basically just complaining and saying he wants to find out why he didn't do the levitation trick. And he's going to confront him over it. And Ernie's like, what is this going to prove? Let's just get out of here. It's a waste of time, but let's just go. So he sees Flora walking. They go into the employee oh, yeah. area. Yeah, they go into this little employee area. It's behind this big sign for some attraction. So they sort of duck underneath that. And then they see a bunch of carnies sitting around. And it's very poor. Like, there's not even tables around. There's one table for, like, a scattering of food for people. But otherwise, everyone's kind of lounging on chairs. And he sees Flora, and she's in a robe. She's poured herself a coffee or something inside of a foam cup. And Frank goes over there and demands to see Karma. And she's like, come on, go away. Like, he doesn't see anyone. Just leave us alone. Like, this is our only dinner break. We do this show four times a night. We're tired. Just leave us be. And then keeps demanding and she looks over at Ernie and says, can't you talk some sense into him? And it's funny because she sort of naturally realizes he's the voice of reason because Frank, he's just so demanding and rude. And Ernie is his more opposite and he his body language reflects his discomfort with his friend's behavior. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like got this, I want to say placating. I wouldn't know. Yeah, he's just trying to get his friend to stop. So immediately Flora picks up on this and sort of turns to him as the voice of reason to inject reason into his friend. Uh, it does not work. So he sees, Frank sees Karma's silhouette behind this old looking canvas. I've been meaning to ask you about what that canvas is. To me, it looks like a tanned hide. It does. But that doesn't make any sense for a carnival. I have no idea what it is. It's a cool shot. It's very dramatic. Something more like Jeepers Creepers than like... Yeah. Because it, it looks like the kind of leather they use for like tanned human skin. <laughs> yeah, it's good for either Jeepers Creepers, Austin Powers, shenanigans. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of long for no reason too. But he finds him, he just rushes over. And the Great Karma is basically got this very makeshift makeup area and it's a mirror with little lights sitting on the bed of a truck uh-huh. and he's just sitting on this little chair in front of it so it's like oh his trailer but except like it's not it's literally the bed of his truck and a mirror inside of it and like a photo frame and little thingies so he runs over there and just starts demanding you know hey why didn't you do this trick like i read about it in the london times and these little newspaper clippings and stuff that you were better than houdini you did this great levitation trick the wireless levitation four times and you you said that houdini gave you all his secrets from beyond the grave and all this stuff and karma is you know what kid it's just magic it's just an illusion none of that stuff exists and he just says it does you can't be a liar jeez dude you're like at least 18 years old he must have been born yesterday because that's the whole point of magic is deception yeah and he just is so adamant that this is a real magic and he says you're one of the last great true magicians and it's like, really, dude, you are in a full-grown adult. This is literally a trick. You were the greatest attorney this state ever knew. You can't be a liar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's part like... of the job, kid. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was just kind of ridiculous. When he actually says that he knows real magic, karma is like, the secret is that there is no secret. You know, we got some Kung Fu Panda stuff going on in there. <laughs> but that's when he says, you can't be a liar. I believe in you. And it's like, 
I just... It's just such a childish thing. He's like a full-grown adult finding out that Santa Claus isn't real and fighting against people to convince them that he is, in fact, real because he believed in it. <laughs> and Karma is like, you know what, kid? Sometimes you can believe in something a little too much. And at some point during their conversation, Ernie picked up this photo frame that was by the mirror and Karma goes over there and yanks it away from him. He's like, oh, that, don't touch that. And he puts it back and it's a picture of a girl. Well, not like a little girl, but like a young woman, I guess. And this, I believe, kind of breaks Karma a little bit because now he's getting a bit more upset. Then Frank says, it said you did the wildest levitation four times. And that's when Karma says, I did it three times and the fourth time. And he gets like really upset and he kind of collapses onto the chair. And then Flora gets really upset. She's like, you know what, you guys, that's enough. Leave him alone. Don't you guys see how you're affecting him? And then that's when Karma decides to sort of crack and admit that there's forces that they couldn't control. They thought they could, but they got arrogant. And that the wireless levitation uses too much energy and it takes too much out of the person. And he tells Frank that he should just stop focusing on this kind of stuff and just go to school and get a job and not to mess with illusions. And of course, this literally makes Frank even angrier as opposed to being happy that, hey, he admitted what he wanted to hear. He gets even angrier that he did not do it. Even after hearing that there was this bad thing that happened to him because of this levitation, he literally gets angrier about it and this is considering beginning it really stems from his self-entitlement to karma's powers right because he wanted to have the secrets passed down to him and because he refuses to sort of dabble in it any longer he feels like he's being robbed of his being the successor to him which is why he gets even angrier right so he basically calls him a hack and just starts basically saying, well, you are a liar, blah, blah, blah. You are just this and that. And it's just so frustrating. Like, he's such a little... I just want to, I want to punch his face. Okay? Oh yeah, he's got a very punchable face. So he goes to leave and of course, poor Karma sitting in his chair looking at this picture of the girl and Flora's trying to shoot them away and she's like, you know what, geez, when he did that, on that last one, he used the levitation trick on his daughter and it went very wrong. So get you guys, just leave him alone. He was a great magician. And this is when Frank's like, no, he's just a hack fraud. You know, he's just trash garbage and it's, it's the UPOS. And we just sort of see karma crumpled in his chair looking at this picture of his daughter and it's like that kid is just such a punk i hate him the next scene after that i say after we see karma is just crumpled form beyond the canvas to see his silhouette they're at the show again so the next scene starts back at karma's magic show and frank and ernie are both sitting in the seats where they were before near the front and Ernie is very, very uncomfortable. And again, like you told him earlier, he turns to Frank and says, hey, man, what is this going to prove? And so the show begins, the thing opens, and Karma removes his gloves to do the trick. And it's this is when I notice he's got a hole in one of his gloves, just to sort of show how poor this circus is. Dumpy. Yeah. And then Frank's like, oh, he's just going to pull his flowers from his cape. And then he does. You still get the polite clapping. 
And he just proceeds to spoil all of these little tiny tricks by saying what's going to happen at the end of them. And I'm just thinking, and this is what I was mentioning earlier, it's so petty. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being someone who actually lives in this small town and, oh, the circus is in town, right? You pay, like, what, $2 to get in. And, you, know, you take your kids. You just to see this little magician guy, you know. And, of course, they're cheap tricks. Like, what in the world would you be expecting, right? A Las Vegas stage? No. And then you have some heckler just ripping him a new one. And it's like, geez, this is like an old man. This circus can't afford him to even have a nice pair of not ruined gloves. And this young man is just ripping into him. For everyone else, that must be super uncomfortable. And again, it's just this humongous sense of self-entitlement that is just so frustrating. And he's like this giant baby. Okay, he's just a man-child and he's got such a petulant expression on like i probably wouldn't even hate him as much if he didn't look like such a giant baby hats off to the actor though of course like mm-hmm. making me hate him with his little wee 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 expression pouty Ugh. and then it's gosh it's just like so frustrating so he doesn't even get to all of his tricks because he tries to throw him off by pulling out these metal rings and he's like oh, oh the chinese <laughs> ring trick <laughs> Oh, those strings are just supposed to slide through each other. Yeah, and it's like he just puts them away, and then he doesn't even do the trick. And then he's like, oh, we need to pull out a cheap guillotine trick. And it's like, that was his best one. It was actually, it impressed Ernie, but he wanted to just derail it before it even started. And of course, Karma is like, really angry his like face has got this part that's twitching and just anger that he's not really showing on his face otherwise so he actually pauses and of course we want to mention that ernie it looks like he's dying of embarrassment next to him it's like he just in the seat just kind of sinking in there he's got his hands on his face he's just kind of looking away like he is so embarrassed i can't even imagine what it would be like to be that dude you know so karma pauses after that and he's like enjoying yourself and frank is all like I want the wireless levitation. And he says this in just just such a freaking man-child way. Like, he just, ugh. He's just such a big baby. I hate him. It just This is literally him throwing a temper tantrum, mm-hmm. you know, ending with, I want the wireless levitation. Ugh. Well, don't worry, folks, because Karma lives up to his name because he says, come on to the stage. So he waves Frank up and Frank just goes onto the stage. And Ernie, not only being the voice of reason here, is also kind of like the one with the brain cells. He's like, something's not right. Don't go up there. <laughs> he tries to stop him. But of course, Frank does not listen. He doesn't listen to his friend at all. And Karma says, then on your head, so be it. And that kind of shakes a tad bit of fear into Frank because he's all like, what? Uh, maybe not so cavalier. <laughs> he's more like, what? But a tiny hint of fear. And Karma's like, has your courage deserted you? And Frank's like, no, I'm not afraid. Uh, do it. So Karma puts his hands over his face. And he puts his thumbs over his eyes and his the rest of his hands are on the other sides of his head. And he's like, close your eyes. Sleep. Go to the secret place only you know how to find. Sleep. Remember how it felt to fly in your dreams. Sleep. Relax. 
sleep. Let the threads of gravity float away. Okay. And they continue saying things like that, like sleep, relax. Um, and I do want to mention, I did not realize he was the doctor from Blade Runner, but at that part where he puts his thumbs over his eyes, I turned to Zaki and I said, oh, he should give him the Blade Runner treatment and just you know, like to poke his eyes out. I did not realize he was the dude getting his eyes poked out in Blade Runner. So that was pretty funny. Anyhow, no one's eyes get poked out in this movie. So he continues kind of chanting, rise, sleep. And he kind of becomes loosey-goosey, you know? He just kind of starts laying down and Karma gets floor to put these chairs underneath him. So he's got his shoulders and head on one chair. And there's a board yeah the two boards yeah so the he... board between the two chairs yeah so like it's kind of a funny look because if you didn't know the board was there it just kind of looks like he's just as stiff as a board and is like head and shoulders on one chair and the other chair is on his feet so it's like how is he up like that uh once he's like fully laying down he says that frank belongs to him he's like you belong to me now you will obey me you will fly and I do want to mention that this dude is really intense, okay? It really does look like this is costing a whole ton of energy to even get words out anymore. Like his face is like really kind of scrunched in, like veins are popping out. He looks like he's really digging deep for this energy. And of course, his voice and the way he's acting is so much different from his previous tricks, where he's more tired. And this, he's got all this kind of intense, suppressed energy. And it's pretty impressive, okay? And he looks up to the audience and he says, what you are about to see has not been performed on stage for over 25 years. And then he shuts his eyes and then he starts chanting, rise, you will rise. And he does. He starts rising and they kick the chairs out from underneath him. And he's rising and like the 25, you know, not even 25, like the 10 people in the audience there, they're kind of gasping. And a couple kind of looks at each other in shock and he starts rising and the dude keeps chanting the rise, you will rise. And when he gets to the level of Karma's face, he kind of grabs his head, I believe. But he gets up pretty close to Frank's face and says, I give you levitation. And then he continues to chant the rise and he goes up and up and up. And then Karma is saying rise. He suddenly has this very shocked expression on his face and then he kind of tries to choke out the words rise more and he stumbles backwards he grabs the curtain behind him and stumbles back and as he's doing so the curtain rips at the top right above frank tearing the roof tearing the roof off or not the roof off but like tearing like a, like a big like slits in the roof above frank and then he kind of falls to the ground. Everyone gasps. Ernie leaps up and starts screaming, Hey, wait, Frank, come back. And of course, Flora, she rushes to Karma's side and she's like, Jake, because Karma's real name isn't Karma, it's Jake. So she rushes over to him and she has her hands around him and kind of falls over him in grief. So that way, you know, he's dead now. Mm -hmm. So Karma died giving him levitation. So Frank continues to float out of reach and he goes through the slit. And of course, poor Ernie is screaming, somebody help him, please. Frank, come back. And he just floats off. And that's how the episode ends. So he truly did get karma. You know, karma came back for him. <laughs> he got what he deserved in the end, I think. I just, uh Okay, so that's that. So now, Zachy. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the episode? I feel like you probably, <laughs> listeners, you probably know how I feel about this episode. <laughs> I feel like I'm making it perfectly clear. <laughs> so, Zaggy, how do you feel about this episode? 
Well, I will say this. It is frustrating to watch, but at the same time, it's aiming to be that. Yeah. The main character is not meant to be justified in their position. Mm -hmm. Hence the existence of Ernie. Ernie is the other protagonist that has a sane head on his shoulders and is the normality to the main character's insanity. Mm -hmm. See, I would like to compare this episode a little bit to one of my least favorite episodes, the word processor of the gods. Now, this is kind of where I was mentioning not having a good sense of what is appropriate behavior in the world because it's sort of like... You can have behavior that is wildly inappropriate, but is taken as normal by the show itself. Like the example I gave was like The Simpsons. It's extreme, but it's normal, right? Like Homer Simpson would not exist in the real world without probably being in some kind of like a, you know, like a home or like a place. I don't know. He would definitely need extra care. (laughs) But, you know, it's totally normal in his world. In Word Processor of the Gods, you have our main character who I think is kind of like, he's leaning towards a bit of an extreme. Eh, let's see, how do I put this? He is an extreme individual, but there's no sense of normality established to show you that he is in fact extreme. Exactly. So it is taken as normal. Yeah, because the only other people that give you a sense of normality are his extreme wife and he's not really extreme kid. I mean, that, that's like a routine. But it's an act. extreme in how it's presented. Yeah. Well, it's extreme in how the dad sees it. Of course. Like, he sees this kid as this horrible monster because he's, like, in a band as a teenager. And that's just seen as the absolute worst. Oh, like, and don't forget that older family friend. Oh, my just, gosh. Like... Yeah, he's such a creep. I've been like... <laughs> That's normal. That's okay. What's totally normal is that this weird old man just worships his neighbor child. This child next door, he like worships the ground he's on. He's always talking about him. And it's like, that's kind of creepy. Like, who the heck are you? I just, neighbors, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just been a while since I lived in a town where your neighbors are also your friends. (laughs) You know, because like, that was like when I lived in an actual small town. Every other town I lived in is like, you're not friends with your neighbors. As a matter of fact, I hate my neighbors, you know? <laughs> like, our neighbor in a freaking Oklahoma was just a monster. Like, she was literally a Stepford wife. Uh-huh. Although, to be fair, the neighbor on her other side was pretty cool. But she also had kids our age. Yeah. So we had friends over there. So I don't know. I, I guess... But you know what? Friends like that is like a normal level of friendship. Uh-huh. Not like... Oh, I just adopted this kid as my grandchild. Like, no, that's creepy and weird, you know? Uh I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been so creepy had he threw in there that he was kind of a sanctuary for them for being abused by the husband. But he doesn't say anything like that. As far as we know, he just creepily likes them from afar, Uh you know? It's just weird. But there's the problem. You do not know what is really normal because that's presented as wildly... Okay. <laughs> Which is not a problem in this episode. Ex- exactly. Oh, yeah. So to, to pull it back in is that that sets the stage for being completely unable to tell what's not appropriate because everyone that you would normally find inappropriate is accepted. And in this episode, this kid, Frank, his behavior is not acceptable. His mm-hmm. friend is embarrassed by him. He tries to convince him otherwise. And if he was not there... You might not have a true sense of whether or not he's supposed to be taken as extreme. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, this could be totally reasonable. He's our main character after all. But we have this dude that's completely normal. Is like, hey man, what are you trying to prove with this? Mm -hmm. So I very much appreciate that. Yeah, it earns a gold star from me for that. 
Yeah. So that's one thing that you are at least confident in the knowledge. The narrative, at least, does not see him as a man you are supposed to get behind. Exactly. And I know that isn't always the case with a lot of media. Like you're supposed to be able to take it for yourself. Oh, this person's a bad person. You're not supposed to like them. But a lot of times, the framing makes it to where they are supposed to be liked, whether or not they're a bad person. Yeah, you should like not like them. But a lot of shows kind of don't bother with that kind of framing, you mm -hmm. know? So it's, like, possible to utterly miss the fact you're not supposed to like them and like them anyway. Uh-huh. You know, I love Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> He's the good guy, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think I just like Hannibal from the get-go, so it was impossible for me to see him as a villain. Like, but back like, to levitation. Uh... I know it's very difficult to talk about this episode because... <laughs> It's just so fascinating. It's such a quick-moving episode. It, it actually is. I mean, it's not any shorter or longer than other episodes, but it goes by really quick. Like, this feels like a 10-minute episode, and it's totally Oh, yeah, totally and there's some slogs in this series that feel like they take days to finish when they're, like, 20 minutes like the rest of them. But this one goes by fast, despite our dislike of the main character. Mm -hmm. So I guess that goes to show that it's fairly entertaining. Yeah, I mean, and you can have a good episode that feels longer if it has a whole lot of information packed in. Mm -hmm. You know, like Anniversary Dinner felt like there was a lot going on. So it felt a little longer. Like, this feels very short, but that didn't feel, it didn't feel long, right? But it felt like there was a lot to it. It had a lot of meat on its bones. Juicy, delicious meat. Okay, back to <laughs> levitation, I promise. <laughs> Pinky promise. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> what do you want to talk about about levitation? Okay, I'm going to bring up some discussion points, and we're going to talk about said discussion points, okay? Okie dokie. Okay, so magic in this world is clearly some kind of force that may or may not have a mind of its own, hmm. hence why it takes out of you to do it. Yeah. So the question is, does he lose a piece of himself doing this every time is it like quote-unquote regenerate or does it like just take a slice out of him and it doesn't like ever heal so to speak that's why he mm. can only do it so many times because he only ever does it five times throughout his life yeah you know it makes you wonder because it could be that doing the levitation on yourself costs less but doing it to another person is more because he said, or it's very implied, he lost his daughter doing the levitation trick. Well, he wasn't doing it on himself. He was probably doing it on random people. And then he decided to do it with his daughter for that fourth time. I don't know. Because you wouldn't be able to do that because that he'd have to put himself to sleep. Well, what about... And then that would ruin the whole magic trick. But what about Houdini? Now, he was said in this that he could do the wireless levitation. Wouldn't his tricks revolve around him? Yes, so, but I don't think they actually knew what kind of tricks Houdini did. Because hmm. they're just like, oh, he's the greatest magician. Yeah, so the like, greatest magician must have done some actual magic trick that we're going to use for this episode. Like, he doesn't do that. He's mm -hmm. like escapism and like various tricks involving himself. He's not the kind to have assistance for most magic tricks. Well, I, mean, I never watched Houdini. <laughs> I mean, I've seen some of the tricks that he had performed. I think I, I think I wasn't born when he was alive. <laughs> I mean, like, you know what I mean. I've seen, like, recreations of some of the magic tricks that he had performed when mm -hmm. he was alive. And they're pretty stunning for the time and for nowadays. Hmm. They're pretty good. 
but they're all kind of self-contained. So he could do these mostly alone. Yeah, he would just need the stuff to do it. Yeah, and that's what I was sort of thinking is that if he if it was Houdini, like chances are he was doing it to himself. And if they compared him to Houdini in regards to the wireless levitation, I feel like it wouldn't be on someone else. And it's quite mm-hmm. possible maybe he had chosen his daughter to do it because she would be like maybe this would be her big debut, mm-hmm. you know, into the like magic world and it went horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. I feel like that could be it. I really don't know, right? Because it doesn't tell you. So there's no real way of knowing. I like to think that maybe it was on himself the first three times. And then when he was getting arrogant, he was like, I can do this on other people. I have enough power to do so. And then it went wrong. And I think that's probably why when he did it on the boy that he realized it would go wrong. And I believe that he realized it would grow on because he says two things that make me think that he knew it was going to kill him or himself. Mm -hmm. And it was that he says, on your head, so be it, when he gets up to do the levitation trick. And when he's actually levitating, when he says, I give you levitation, that kind of sounded like the way he said it, like, this is what you wanted, now you have it. In a very kind of ultimatum way, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not sure ultimatum is the correct word. Yeah. But it felt very final. And I feel like, I don't know. I mean, heck, maybe he even planned to tear that thing off. It makes me wonder. But he clearly did want this to go wrong or maybe go horribly right. And maybe he just was ready to sacrifice himself. I don't think it would have gone that far. I think him floating away into the sky was more of a a circumstantial thing. But rather, he knew he was going to die doing this, and him giving him levitation and just raising him and raising him was just part of, like, going out with a bang with that final magic mm. trick. Um, him grabbing the curtains is more of an instinctual thing, and then tore open the ceiling and let him, like, Frank just float up into the great beyond Mm-mm. was more of a circumstantial thing. More of a fate thing yeah. with what's supposed to have happened to him. As opposed to just floating up to the top of the circus tent and then just kind of staying there. Hmm. I don't know. Like a it does... fly getting caught in like a fluorescent light and dying. But it does very much feel like he expected something bad to happen. I feel like he even intended something bad to happen. I'm not really 100% sure what. Maybe he thought if he... Maybe he thought if Frank lived and he died that he would feel bad and realize what he did you know, teach him a lesson, but it's really hard to say because I feel like at the very beginning when he was denying that magic was real, that he changed his mind about it because he saw how much Frank was determined to get those secrets and that he wanted to deter him by telling him the truth and saying how bad it was. Saying, look, that wasn't all that great. I had this power. Yeah, sure. But it turned out really badly for me because I was arrogant, probably like, like you, implied with that right Mm -hmm. because clearly this kid is arrogant he thinks he deserves these secrets he doesn't know karma but he still feels entitled to his his legacy for some Mm -hmm. reason this complete stranger he just has this chosen one complex almost like he just feels like he deserves this and it's like okay you little punk but i don't know i i really feel like at first he was trying to deter him 
And then he kind of, like, maybe punishes him in the hope that, like, maybe his death would be a further deterrent. That his words literally did not work. Mm-hmm. But, of course, it just ended up, like, killing, killing him. Killing Ragnarok them both Ragnarok style. Exactly. So, I just feel really, really bad for Ernie. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't do anything wrong. He was the voice of reason. And he gets to see his friend die. He gets to see... The fact that his friend had this magician killed because of his own self-entitlement. And let's hope he can also drive or else he's stuck in this little town 75 miles away from home with nowhere to go, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. he was left in a very bad position. Oh, yeah. So, sucks for poor Ernie. And also for Flora, who's best friend and or lover. <laughs> <laughs> that's a mystery that is the greatest one the greatest mystery of all of this is what is flora to Jake karma slash karma i keep wanting to say swami but i don't know why what? i know he's a magician in something oh but i don't know what yeah i've never even heard of that but before. anyway <laughs> so more important and i feel this is a very interesting question because just the weird relationship these two have what is the relationship of ernie and frank i mean i think these two are friends they honestly strike okay me. driving 75 miles to watch some random magician is not just friends well, okay <laughs> no i don't care who you are you're not going on a 75-mile road trip to the middle of nowhere with someone you're just kind of okay no, no, no. with. I'm or if you're, like, best friends, lovers, or, like, brothers, father, son, whatever kind of really close I, relationship, that's when you take a big road trip like that. Okay, I feel like they're probably best friends since, like, elementary school. That's what I honestly get, and I feel like maybe they want to go on a fun trip before starting college or as just a break for spring break. I honestly get these two are like best friends, which is why Ernie is willing to go along with his stupid plans because he's always done it. You know, like that kind of is utterly okay with this dumb stuff just because he's literally always been okay with it. There's this patterns of relationships where you're used to something, even though it's not something you would normally be okay with. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's just how Frank is. So I get that feeling because he's also unafraid of telling him, hey, you know what? That's unreasonable. So like, I don't know. Like, I feel like they're just these kind of best buddies that would do a bunch of dumb stuff together because that's just kind of adventures they go on. Because it really does seem like most of the time he's just kind of like not wanting to be there with Frank because it's just like, come on, man. No, come on. And then at the very end, he's like desperate to get Frank back. Well, see, I feel like when they were talking in the very beginning, he seemed like he was very skeptic about how fun this was going to be despite his friend's assurances that this was going to be great. And of course, why would he think that it would be great looking at how sad the circus was? But he seemed friendly towards him, though. They were clearly friends. And I think maybe in this instance, what we're seeing is kind of like Frank being at his worst. I mean, it clearly is because Ernie's very embarrassed by it. Yeah, they wouldn't have been friends had that been Frank's default. Yeah, so that's what I think. I think we're just seeing this sort of chunk of time where Frank is just not behaving and Ernie is super embarrassed. 
So I honestly do get the feeling that they're probably friends. I feel like clearly Ernie is far too good for Frank. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, clearly not the kind of person that would heckle an old man at a cheap circus, you know? <laughs> yes. So he's got the basic human decency that yes. Frank absolutely lacks. But who knows? I mean, he probably has this streak in him clearly. So maybe he acts like that otherwise, but this is just him at his worst. Mm-hmm. You know, and heck, maybe this is like the would have been the breaking point in their friendship because maybe this is after high school and this is they're kind of trying to rekindle a friendship after growing apart Mm -hmm. Uh, we're just putting a lot of little backstory into frank and ernie's relationship but yeah i mean i kind of bought their friendship i guess other than thinking frank's just this jerk for anyone to want to hang around but it could just be the like reveal of his true colors that he's just an self-titled little mandy now the final discussion point that i had prepared for this whole thing what do you think happens to frank once he floats away the same thing that happens to anyone entering the atmosphere at that level he probably freeze probably suffocate both because that's kind of an interesting point it looks like he's wearing a decent amount of layers like he Dude, might that be... is not gonna help him breathe <laughs> Well, I don't know if he's going out into the outer atmosphere. He's going to settle where the helium balloons are or like if it's just going to be like such a slow elevation because there's like two miles of verticality before the oxygen runs out. Hmm. So put it this way, dude, you could suffocate on Mount Everest if you have asthma or something like that's too high up. This dude is going to keep floating until. Don't forget how tall Mount Everest is. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm saying, though, is that he's floating above that level at some point. So he's going to suffocate. Or freeze, whichever comes first. So that guy is just not going to be in good shape. Do you think it'll wear off? No. Because here's what I think. I think he's stuck floating because we saw him actually wake up right as he's floating out like his eyes open and he's still floating. Mm -hmm. Most importantly, Karma dies and he's still floating. So it's not like the magic goes away with the user's death. So what you're saying is is that Karma had to say some magic words to get him to float back down. Yes. And those are no longer present since his demise, mm-hmm. and he just keeps floating away. Yeah. Now, <laughs> this is an even better part of this. Hmm. What happens to him when he dies? Is the magic just going to carry his carcass up into space? Maybe. Is he going to settle in the upper atmosphere and just decompose in the upper atmosphere, completely mummified? Oh, man. Or what happens? That's pretty cool. I like the idea of his corpse just being up in the, what's the highest level of the uh, atmosphere? I mean, technically the magnetosphere, but that's way far out from Earth. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Like, it's not like I know where the helium balloons go. <laughs> I, mean, I think they pop and then they fall back down. But, you know, I think where it's is... Really, I think it's called something dumb, like the heliosphere or something like that. Oh, really? I think so. Why would it be dumb? Like, if that's where helium, like, actually is, right? Because it's named after the spot where helium goes oh instead of having its own name. <laughs> I'm cool with that if that's the fact. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, folks. Don't quote us on that. <laughs> We're not um, scientists. But, like, I kind of am, almost. I mean, medical is a different field. No, no, I was talking about chemistry. Oh, yeah. I was trained okay, in Valina, scientists. Where does was, helium go? I was trained in In the atmosphere, chemistry. since you're trained in chemistry. I was, and I was not. Since tra- you are a general practitioner scientist. No, I was. Who knows everything about everything. I was trained in chemistry, not atmospheric ecology or whatever you might call that. So you're telling me that you're Marianne and not the professor? How dare you? <laughs>
so which one is the better one do you think is more realistically going to happen that he floats out into space uh, as a carcass or he just floats mummified I at mean, a maximum like, height i don't know because then just, it's like does he just keep going out into the outer universe like will his I mean, space there, dust just float out into the koopier belt or like I don't know. is there anything to stop you from floating out there's not a barrier of any kind is there because think about it. No. There's no gravity on him. He's levitating. So what would there be to stop him from exiting the atmosphere? Magic? I don't know. Yeah. Because so like, realistically, if there's just an upward force put on him by magic, then by all means, there's nothing to stop him. He'll float out into space. He'll float out until he eventually hits a solid object or doesn't. Me personally, my vote is that his eventual mummified carcass floats out into the universe and just never stops. That is kind of what I think is intended, to be honest with you. I like the idea of his corpse just hanging there rotting. It's such a good image. I like that. That's like Junji Ito-like levels of really creepy imagery. Just corpses just floating and floating, just stopping and up there. It'd be weirdly mummified, too, because it would be cold mummified. Mm-hmm. So he'd be eaten from the inside out by the stomach bacteria. But once his oh. warmth leaves... He'll just kind of be freeze-dried up in the upper atmosphere. I mean, he'll be good to eat on a camping trip, but like... Oh my god. uh, (laughs) But ultimately, he won't do a lot of rotting. He'll just dry out. Oh my gosh, what if he just flows with the air currents? He's just pushed around the world by the winds, you know? That'd be a very interesting visual. Yes, and you'll just see like a plane going by and they just see its corpse floating there. Or it gets sucked into the engines. Oh my gosh. But I think I like that image. So I'm going to stick with that one being (laughs) what happens to our dear, beloved, and departed Frank. May he rest in pieces. So Valina, where would you rate this episode on your five-star system? Honestly... I really hate this episode, okay? I hate it because I absolutely hate Frank. However, I would feel bad giving it too low of a score because it's purposeful. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. he is getting what's coming to him. There's a reason the magician is called Karma. There's a reason they put in the character of Ernie. There's a lesson here. It's literally telling you, Hey, if you're a self-entitled little brat, bad things could happen to you. You think you're going to get what you want? What if what you want is itself a punishment? And it's a good message. And it's written well enough. The acting is pretty good. I love the setting so much. So by how frustrating it is, it is for a purpose. So I'm actually going to give it three stars because this episode did do well. Like it's perfectly fine from a, a technical standpoint, from a writing standpoint. It's just unenjoyable for me to watch because of Frank. So I can't rate it any more than three stars because I'm genuinely frustrated over watching it. He's yeah. so frustrating. And I don't like being frustrated. Yes. You know, it's just not a feeling I like. And I mean, I know that might work for some people because, hey, he does get he wants at the end. That's the reason I don't like word processor. You feel like the same level of frustration, but he gets everything he wants, you know? So, like... That makes me angry. <laughs> but this mm-hmm. doesn't do this. It says he gets what he deserves and not what he wants. As Which fact, it, it was what he exactly. wanted. Just not how he wanted exactly. it. Exactly. And it's good. Okay. So it is written well. But because of my own personal lack of enjoyment being able to watch this brat, I, I can only give it three stars. And these aren't saying that this is like a bad episode. No, yeah. It's highly recommend. I, I can recommend this very easily. Yeah. It's, 
a very good example of Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, so definitely worth watching, particularly if you have a higher tolerance for really frustrating main characters than mm-hmm. I do. So, yeah, three stars. So, Zachy. Yes? Now that we finally have Levitation out of the way, what is our next episode that we're going to cover? Well, folks, this is going to be a very interesting one. It is known as It All Comes Out in the Wash, but better known as The One with James Hong in it. And let me tell you, folks, he is the reason to watch this episode. I only remember James Hong's parts (laughs) the most vividly. So that's the best thing to take out of it. (laughs) Yeah, there's two important things. One, James Hong. Yes. He's the best. Like, literally, every scene he's in is totally great. It's like, yeah, he's excellent. Then, there's the scenes where the main character is talking to a parakeet. Yes. That, that is the thing. It's really funny. There was an episode, Answer Me. Yeah. That was very frustrating when we were watching. Like, why is she just talking to herself constantly? That's so irritating and weird. This one decided, you know what? We're still going to have this character talking to themselves. In one room. In one room, just constantly. But we're not going to do that thing where it's just this woman talking to herself for no reason. He's going to be talking to his parakeet, so it's not weird. Or people on the phone. Yeah, or people on the phone. So it's the same exact thing, but with a little better of a reason for it. You know, I talk to my dog all the time. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I used to talk to my bird. (laughs) You know, there's a reason for that, at least. Even if it feels very forced. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like exposition the episode because, like, it's nothing but talking. No, no, no. It's not exposition the episode. It's filler around James Hong. Yes. That is the episode. If you guys want to hear me gush about James Hong, tune in for the next episode because... Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's pretty great. Like just James Hong, like everything that is about him in this episode, like his role in it, his acting, his jokes, like literally everything is so great and so funny. I'm not, I mean, I'm not gonna spoil the ending. It's so great though. Oh, like yeah. it definitely makes it worth it, even if the episode itself lacks. You know, it's a bit lacking whenever James Hong is not present. Now, Valina, if you want to send us Soren. Where do you go? Well, you can find us floating around our Instagram at This House Podcast. Or if you want to float, you could go send us a message on thishousepodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes to send us soaring up. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that way you can catch episodes as they come out. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to tell you every time. <laughs> Yes, we'll put a little message on Instagram to remind you we exist. Of course, we'll have to put the little reminder in our podcast for us so we can remember to post our Instagram. (laughs) I'm sorry. haven't been on Instagram in like a billion years. That's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, before we command you to rise, (laughs) get out of our house.
Now there's no 